0: Welcome to the Profitable Farmer podcast, where we share stories and tips to help you run a better farming business and create your very own freedom farm. If you're looking to work smarter and not harder in your farm business, welcome, you're in the right place. We have a cool start here in Pudumandra this morning. Um. Welcome again to Profitable Farmer, everyone. I hope this finds you incredibly well. In this podcast, we're going to do something different, and I'm excited about this. Three times a year, we run a two-day conference that we call Deep Dives with our Platinum Mastermind members on one of the nine key modules that they move through over their three-year journey with us. Um, we're going to share with you an interview that we did with Andrew Bates from Swarm Farm Robotics, an incredible on-farm manufacturing plant that brings autonomous tractors and autonomous vehicles into Australian agriculture. Um, it's quite an amazing story. Started, I think, in 2006 or 2007, now employing well over 25 people um, and really pioneering in bringing autonomous driverless Um, vehicles or platforms into every industry in Australian agriculture. So the way this is going to work is I'm going to share with you uh, the audio of a YouTube clip that is included if you want to watch it in the written intro. And then you're going to hear me and Matthew Pryor on stage interviewing Andrew Bate. And from there, we'll open up to our 350 Platinum Mastermind members, and you'll hear a few questions from those. I'll come back at the end of the podcast and wrap this up. But I um, think this is just a really significant insight to where we're off to in agriculture. I was at the Rabo Bank Conference last week with over 1,600 farmers from around Australia, and a lot of the focus was on technology and how it's going to drive change and how it's going to drive efficiencies on farm and in our supply chains, um, which prompted the idea to share this clip around swarm farm robotics with you. So Enjoy this and I'll hook in at the end to round out the conversation.
1: A big part of what we're trying to do is simplify technology and make it it easy. Swarm Farm Robotics is a a vision that we've taken from, I guess, a background in farming all the way through to to an ag tech company and um, we're one of the, I guess, one of the only companies in the world that's actually commercialising autonomous agriculture And, and we're actually starting to deliver this technology to farmers in Australia now. I started Swarm Farm because everything we do in agriculture is limited by what we can hook on the back of a tractor or what we tip in a spray tank. And if it doesn't fit in either of those two paradigms, we don't do it out in the paddock. And Swarm Farm opens an entire new world of farming technology. In this latest iteration of our robots, I guess there's 18 months of development gone into them. Our robots are slightly more powerful. We now have 75 horsepower. We originally had 24. And we've ruggedised the whole design now, so they're, um, they're, they're far more capable than early machines. You know, it's hand over the key stage. Um, We're actually delivering these robots and and, and leaving them behind on farms, and and farmers are now using it.
0: How you going? Uh, Scott from uh, Macadamia Farm Management in Bundaberg. We've had Lima with us for around about six weeks. It's been good to have her on the ground commercially mowing. Um, I guess we're covering more ground in something that can operate more hours in the day. It's, It's fairly simple to operate, so it's allowing us to have more consistency in operation.
1: I guess, you know, we really like to keep technology simple. Um, you know, we see robots being a simple technology that farmers can actually set up and maintain themselves and, and not something that overwhelms farmers.
2: We're really proud of what we do at Swan Farm. We're ag-tech based in the heart of agriculture. We're based here on farm because we were actually solving our problems in what we do with broad-acre farming. You know, we're limited by the chemistry we're using, um, so we're getting resistance to weeds, and we're also, um, compaction's becoming a big issue. But every other industry has its own challenges, and that's what robotics is about.
3: A great part of this job is is the practical environment in which we are. We're in a very dynamic team that that is able to to change from one thing to the other, depending on what's required from from either a customer or or what we identify as a problem. So we we can be creative with the solutions that we come up with and it's it's fantastic to be able to implement those solutions straight away, test it on a machine, on farm, in the real situation where it's going to be working.
2: We've worked really hard over the last seven years and it hasn't always been easy.
1: and we're at a really exciting phase. We're building a new on-farm office thanks to the support of the Queensland State Government. We've got a great team and we're rolling our robots out all over the country.
3: I've been asking for one of these autonomous machines for over five years. It's here, it's working, and um, we want number two. When farmers first see our technology, they might initially think that, oh, it's too small. It's not what I've I've had before. and I think that's another exciting thing is to see those cogs turning and, and see the farmers thinking about what they could be doing and what's next and, and what they can implement on this machine. What we're developing is a platform for agriculture. It's, it's a new operating system for agriculture.
0: Where we've got to head in the future is we've got to get better bang for our buck. We've got to grow more, more tons to the hectare and anything that we can use to make that work better and I just think the autonomous vehicles are going to be a big part of that.
1: What it's doing is driving the next big thing in agriculture. It's about how do we grow better crops to feed the world and how do we do it more sustainably.
3: So in 10 years time, I see a swarm farm operating in every agricultural industry.
1: You know, a base robot really doesn't do that much. It's what you put on board. Each of our robots is set up for the particular customer and how they want to use it. For example, Juliet set up for spot spraying. Lima was set up to work in macadamia nut orchards with, with mower but it's going to have more exciting stuff later. Mike was set up to do flower counting and spraying in apple orchards. November was set up to do cotton, uh, both planting and spraying. And Kilo's a bit of a ladies man. He loves cutting someone else's grass, so we set him to a turf farm.
3: Um, From my point of view is, you know, some of the paddocks won't get mowed completely during the day because we've got too much on. You just can't physically get these guys around every single paddock. What Kilo brings to that it doesn't need to stop at four o'clock in the afternoon. If it finishes at nine o'clock that night, that's okay. You know, it's done the job. I think that the take up in not only the macadamia industry, but in all tree crops is, uh, is coming, uh, because I
0: guess my problems are the same as everyone else's. I think we're going to need a hand
1: from autonomous machines, as well as the, the labour force we've already got, because the things that have to, to be more intensive. And the future of agriculture is going to be driven by this far more exciting stuff. It's not just about driving a tractor. It's actually about, you know, technology and biology and and, and how that comes together to grow better crops.
0: Let's give a resounding FOA welcome to Andrew Bates from Swarm Farm. Great to have you with us, Andrew. You're just on mute, I think. Is that right? <laughs> thought, you te- thought you were good with technology.
1: <laughs> I'm a farmer underneath. Um, <laughs> no, thanks very much for having me along today. It's um, great to be involved, um, particularly the group of farmers like this, and, and, um, and obviously businesses that are similar to ours as well, so
0: um, stoked to be here. Yeah, good on you, Andrew. Thank you. Mate, Just to kick off, would you mind telling us a bit about your farm before we launch into swarm farm robotics?
1: Yeah. Um, so um, we're up in Central Queensland, a town near a town called Emerald. Um, so about three hundred kilometres inland of Rockhampton. Um, we uh, we're a family farm, so I guess we're between two generations now. We had our original family farm with mum and dad and, and my brother and sister and. Um, We grew quite a large um, family business. So we we grow wheat, chickpeas, um, sorghum uh, and also uh, mung beans, run beef cattle as well um, and a small feedlot. Um, We kind of grew to, we probably tripled our size in around 10 years. So as part of aggressively growing our family operation and to the stage we could all split out and build our own sort of family operation out of that. Um, So I think at the peak of it, we got to about 20,000 acres farmed, around 2000 head of cattle. Um, we did that family partnership split probably um, five or so years ago now, maybe six. And uh, my wife and I and, and our three kids now are the next family farm. And um, we farm about 10,000 acres here, um, run around sort of 800 head of cattle, small feedlot. And um, yeah, we love what we do.
0: How did Swarm Farms come to be? What inspired that, that thought and, and can you tell us a little bit about its inception?
1: Yeah, it's been a while. So, um, I guess um, my background I did study agronomy back at, at uni at, at Gatton, spent some time as a field agronomist um, in cotton and crop grain crops up in the Ord River, in chickpeas and horticulture um, before coming home. And we were kind of best practice in everything we did. We were um, zero tool controlled traffic, um, you know, right from the early days. Um, we were kind of benchmarked in the top 5% of our peers in financial and agronomic performance. Um, but you know, we were in that stage of expanding as a family partnership, trying to buy more land, get big, expand. And we're right in the middle of the mining boom that happened here. Um, it's in the mid two thousands, and you know, dump truck drivers were earning one hundred and fifty grand for seven days on, seven days off. You couldn't get more staff to expand, and we'd bought more farms. So we bought the biggest tractors we could get, we got the biggest sprayers we could get, um, we the biggest planters we could get, and we're on this. Big thing to get big. And um, we bought this plant, it was a prototype machine, and our machine doesn't hold the world record, but the next machine they built holds the current Guinness World Record for the most acres planted in one day. So we got into big stuff. But after a couple of years, and as impressive as it all was, we realised we were going backwards. Like we used to grow better crops um, when we had smaller gear that was lighter and more agile. And while we're getting over more acres and we're bigger, we didn't grow crops as well as we used to. There's always some tines were too deep, some were too shallow. Some machines were too heavy. Our controlled traffic system fell a bits because our tracks were too heavy. Our sprayers were too big. And so the kind of um, swarm Farm came from a desire to farm better. And while so many people back then were thinking about a driver's tractor and how they could get someone out of the cab, we'd kind of really done that with the big gear. We were thinking about how can we farm better, and what's the next bit of technology we can bring bring into ag to actually prop and farm better? And so our idea was swarms or fleets of small lightweight robots could could farm better than the practices we were using now. And the other big thing was you know we were zero tool completely relying on glyphosate. Um, we're in a reef catchment. Uh, we knew we were going to fall off a cliff face either with resistance um, or consumer sentiment around chemicals. And um, we were thinking about well, what's the next way to kill weeds that is actually sustainable? Um, how can we get more modes of actions, different ways of killing weeds. So for us, it was really about how we could actually bring new farming practices into agriculture. And for us, robotics was kind of the key to do that. So that's kind of what sparked Swarm Farm off in 2008. Um, And it's been a journey, I guess, through to today.
0: How um, how do you describe or explain the first couple of years in getting this thing? Did it start out as it is today or did it start out fundamentally different from from what we see now?
1: No, 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 fundamentally different. So, I mean, you know, myself back then was, you know, um, mustering cattle through the day. We still muster with horses, um, in the yard working cattle, um, driving tractors till ungodly hours of the night to get everything done on time. Um, And so the step into, you know, building a tech company was way out of, you know, anything I've ever done. I'm not a software coder, or not an engineer. I love building stuff in my shed. So um, i built some pretty cool stuff over the years, but um, I'm certainly not an engineer. And so, you know, if you go back to 2010, sort of when we really went from an idea to really putting our toe in the water, um, you know, you couldn't buy a drone on your way home from Harvey Norman. If you'd seen a drone, you Googled it to see one or you saw it in some military document documentary on TV. So it was really early days of robotics. So, you know, to step out from, you know, just working on farm all day in a family farming partnership was a big step um, and not something I was at all comfortable with. Um, but there was this kind of this defining moment, I guess, where I decided I was going to do this. And if I didn't, I was going to regret it, I didn't have a go at it. Um, so I started booking plane tickets and flying around asking people how to build robots, how I could do this, where can I get the technology from? And um, that was one of the challenges i like to start with. Here I'm with my jeans and check shirt on in the middle of Sydney, signing a, you um, uh, security clearance pass to get to visit British aerospace. And I walked in, you know, as a 100% farmer um, to six engineers in a presentation room where they pulled out a PowerPoint document uh, presentation and presented to me their capabilities and then expected me to do the same for them. And I, I didn't have it. And and, um, you know, so it was a it was certainly not something I was used to. I wasn't used to booking flights and flying all over the place. Nowadays, as we just do it, you go to watch the footy, you jump on a bonus flight. But, you know, back in the mid 2000s, we probably weren't as affluent as we are now and travel wasn't as easy and we didn't use email like we did now and organise things in the net. So it was pretty early days. And and, you know, my farming, my skill set was as a farmer on, on the ground. So that was probably one of the early challenges for me was building those skills and that confidence to to get out and do what we're doing.
4: Just for a sense of scale, Andrew, maybe for the people in the room. The number of people in the farming side of the business versus the number of people just sort of characterise the two businesses in in terms of you know how obviously swarm farm has grown. You've setting up the facility, so it's just staff numbers to give people a sense of you know how much that kind of can we it side hustle has become this you know enormous thing in and of itself.
1: Yeah. So to start with, I did everything out of out of hours, so I didn't interfere with the family partnership. We'd take holidays and I'd fly to Sydney and go try and work out robotic stuff while my wife and kids sat at the beach and I wasn't there to swim in the, i a swim with them. Um, But that's how we kind of got started. Um, But today um, we're a team of um, 23 people in in Swarm Farm. Um, So um, we've built the business rural, so nearly all of our software engineers, developers, are all based out in, in regional Queensland. Um, so our home base is up here at Emerald. We've got a base down at Harden, New South Wales. We've got people in Bundaberg, Toowoomba. Um, we're a kind of a rare ag tech that's actually based almost completely out in rural Australia. We're really proud of that. Mm. Um, in terms of the farming operation, I do very little farming now. I really have a mentoring role in the farming operation. So it's fantastic to have built um, opportunities for other people in the business now. So. I have a, a farm manager that I kind of came on very junior and kind of mentored and promoted up, and now he fully runs the farming operation. I trust him 100% to run that operation. So really, all I do now is is we go for a drive. It's a mentoring session. We make some decisions, or I support with some decisions and let him get on with it um, rather than get in the road. And I spend 90, I'd say 95, maybe 98% of my time now building a technology company, an ag tech company with Swarm Farm. So. Yeah, my world's completely changed and my skill sets. It's interesting, I've had to build a lot of skill sets I didn't have, and that's been fun but challenging. Um, But it's interesting as a farmer, um, you know, startups and other tech companies talk about risk and stuff and how you manage this and how you manage that, and, you know, what's the income, who are the customers going to be. Well, you know, so many people talk as farmers as, as risk takers, they go to the casino and put it all on red or spin the big casino wheel. And I've always said as farmers, we're opportunity maximizers. And so, you know, we maximize the opportunity that life throws us, whether it's exchange yeah, rates, prices, that. drought, flood, frosts. And that background has been really good developing a tech company because there's so much uncertainty. Is your technology going to work? Where you find the people, what's the market? How much will they pay for it? Are they going to throw it back at you and say you've developed the wrong thing? Um, some people flip out with that stuff, but as a farmer you're naturally managing those sort of risks and uncertainty every day. So that's one thing that was kind of has been ingrained in me since I was a kid driving tractors or mastering, you know, with my mum and dad, um has been a useful skill in the background.
0: Awesome, thanks. Yeah. Andrew, um what does the what's your read on the future for you? Like what do the next 5 and 10 years look like for your business and what do you think Ten. You mentioned ten years ago. What do you think ten years from now will look like for, for you and for the people in the room as, as um, perhaps conventional croppers and farm businesses today?
1: Yeah. Look, I, I think we're at in infection point now with robotics and, and autonomy. We've got 30 robots now running, running it with hands. You know, um, you know, arms-length commercial customers now. Um, we cracked a million acres cropped commercially with our robots about a couple of weeks ago, which we are super stoked about. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think any other company in the world's come anything close to what we've done commercially. Um, I think that um, you know, in Queensland, Northern New South Wales, it's not hard to drive around and see one of our robots running autonomously. Um, You know, on the side of the road on, on one of our customers' farms, we're probably the best kept secret in agriculture robotics. Someone told us that the other day. Um, we've had our head down working hard to get our technology out there and adopted and now um, I think it's probably time it's starting to head mainstream that infection point. Um, we, we're we starting to sell more robots in more and more regions in Australia. We're not far um, from going international. Um, I think in the next five years robots are going to become commonplace across Australia just like they are in Queensland and northern New South Wales now um, and I think we're going to see this transform um, internationally. and it's. You know, it's not. People always thought driverless tractors, you know, could save wages or save labour. But it's it's the fact that there is no labour available, um, is 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 one of the driving forces. But two, the new farming practices we can bring into agriculture. So um, yeah, we're really focused at the moment on expansion and, and and raising the next lot of investment to expand the company, and so we can start growing it and take those opportunities on board. So that's what we kind of see small farm growing now and. Some people say, you know, John Deere will acquire you one day or you could be, you know, someone will buy you up. and it's like, well, we never started a company to be acquired. Um, we set out to build a globally significant player for agriculture robotics. And for us, success means seeing a technology touchdown around the world and make a difference for farmers. And so, you know, we're more thinking, how do we knock John Deere off the perch than how do we get acquired by John Deere um, down the track? We really want to build a, a significant
0: player in the world of ag robotics Thanks, Andrew. So I wanna open up for questions, guys. So I'd love for a good handful of you to fire a question at Andrew. And if when you do, please speak clearly into the microphone so that he can hear you. Just before we go to you, Sam, are there any questions coming in on chat from our virtual crew? Um, and would any like to come off or come off mute and ask their question directly? Michaela? In a minute.
5: I- in a minute, Hutch, I'm a just minute. waiting for some questions. Nobody's brave enough yet to come off mute.
0: Okay, well, can you just wave at me? We'll have we got any questions, guys? We've one down here, Max. Excellent. Thank you. Rick, Max over here, Tim.
5: Oh, perfect. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, thanks for that. That's um, that's really, really inspiring story. Um, i interested to know that technology that uh, spraying and that now we seem to be we're quickly running out of options um, putting so much pressure on on chemistry um, the where's the technology up to with uh, microwave or radiation or whatever and this idea of small robots getting around getting escaped weeds um, that's sort of that's one part of my question I suppose and what my next question would be what's the techno- what's coming that really excites you right now Going forward,
1: yeah, um, it's interesting. So there's the things that you know robotics makes sense with right now, and and, um, certainly you know weed detection spraying has been bread and butter for us, and it's been the biggest, I guess, um, driver of adoption. And it's interesting that farmers that are using our our robots, um, we only build the robot itself, so we build the autonomy platform underneath, and we call our robot platform. And then we partner with independent companies who build the sprayers, the mowers, um, fertiliser spreaders, all the things that go on board. We don't build any of those. Um, we made a really early decision as a company. If we were genuinely going to revolutionise agriculture, bring new field practices into agriculture, fundamentally change how farming happens on the ground, we weren't going to, be able to do it ourselves. We needed dozens, hundreds, eventually thousands of different agtech companies that are developing revolutionary ways to, to grow crops. To come on board and release their technology as well so we're very much a conduit or a path to market for that new technology to get to market and so a farmer using a, a robot um, compared to a farmer using a tractor with weed detection spraying technology on board makes different different agronomic decisions they're using different um, ro- rotations in their chemistry they're spraying at different times it's fundamentally different agronomy and so that's one of the first differences that we've made in terms of how um, existing technology can be applied better through autonomy, and we can change the farming system. Um, what's really exciting is the stuff that's still coming, and you know we are waiting for microwave weeding to come. It hasn't made it yet. We're waiting for mechanical weed chipping. It's very close now. Um, I think within 12 months uh, as another mode of action. Um, I think things like um, heat or steam-based um, or even biological weeding um, could come quicker than we think. Um, Things that excite me in the medium term is certainly more efficient use of nitrogen now, with obviously just about got a cellular kidney to a ton of urea nowadays. Um, and also all the emissions and environmental stuff around it. I think um, there's a real desire and a real opportunity to bring in some really high precision application technology on board our robot and think, you know, not just variable, variable um, you know, rate application, but variable timing of application. So when we come in maybe five, ten times a season and apply nitrogen just as it's needed it to get better use efficiency. And that's an agronomic, um, I guess, opportunity there, because no one's doing that at the moment. But also hyper-accurate per plant doses of, of fertiliser has got a lot of potential right now. And then the really exciting stuff is, is you know, when you start getting to harvesting, whether it's fruit picking, whether it's selective harvesting of, of grain crops, and whether it's selective harvesting of cotton, um, pruning, Crop manipulation. Think about thinning tillers or, or plant populations in drought years to maintain crop yields and water use efficiency in drought years. Um, things like that get really exciting into the future. And you know, while I get excited about this stuff, I know, and we all know, we need dozens, hundreds, thousands of developers around the world solving these problems at a micro scale and releasing it through a platform so that these things can get an end of farm fun and fundamentally change the way we produce our crops.
4: Just to add one little bit to that, Andrew, like in in relative to the the fo- kind of fire forces conversation, one thing to also think about is um, what when we talk about digitally native agriculture, we actually imagine actually new things that you can only do with these new tools. So, to if you think about microwave, if you think about autonomy, and you think about weeds. After, let's say, two seasons, you know where the weed seed bank is. So why wait for emergence if, if, if the microwave can penetrate 10 centimetres into the topsoil, go blow the seeds up before you get any emergence at all. And that's, that's, a, that's a better solution. But, you know, because maybe the microwave is slow and so it's, it's not, it's not, it's not going to be a replacement, even for selective spraying. But it may be that there's an entirely new pathway to get to the root cause of the problem, which is how to get those weeds out of that productive environment anyway. And that sort of overlaying other the, the technology layers, you know, when you've got thirty centimeter sort of satellites four times a day and autonomy and multiple machine passes and a thing that can go out there any any time of day or night, right? And, and 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 get that slow, small job done. So I think that's the other thing to keep in mind too is you know, going back to that picture of the of the road, it's like it's It's, hard. It, it's almost n- never gonna be a straight line. And so thinking about, okay, what am I really trying to do here? I'm trying to stop those weeds inhibiting my economic performance. And you know, just because we do it this way today, doesn't actually mean that's gonna be the best way to do it when we've got this new
0: toolkit. Great question, um, Meg. I
1: was just gonna say another thing is like biologicals. Um, there's already biologicals <coughs> that stem injected into trees now to kill them. Um, there's gonna be biologicals that can be stem-injected into plants to kill them. I'm not saying this is a broad answer, but this is a technology that's only gonna work with the accuracy in repeatability of robotics. And uh, to enable technology and stuff that's really known out there into mainstream being used is gonna be phenomenal.
0: <clears throat> Thanks, guys. Michaela?
5: Got a uh, virtual question if we can, Hudge.
0: Thanks. Hello. Hey, guys. Um, Oh, can you hear me all right? Yeah, you, you've got to introduce yourself and where you're from. Oh, Scott Speed from uh, Air Peninsula, South Australia. Great work. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm interested is this technology that's being used
1: now, is that sort of all on nice square flat paddocks at the moment or is it something that it's going to venture into those parts of country that
0: is a bit harder to deal with? Like yeah yeah,
1: no, Thanks. no certainly. Um, so I'm on really steep country that's heavily contour banked. So we have quite steep um, country with contours all over. That we have to go through. Um, robotics work well. Odd shaped, small paddocks that kind of often are very good to farm with large gear because the headlands are too tight, areas are too small. You're ducking and weaving between, you know, creeks and gullies and things like that. So um one of the beauty of of small robots and having multiples of them is you can actually get in efficiently farm soil that you would not normally want to farm with large gear yet it might be quite fertile um so yeah i um yeah i'm I'm, I'm, i I think the answer is that robotics probably provides better
0: solutions i think a few of us have got back hills for you andrew (laughs) sonia
5: I just wondered if the technology is addressing uh, that issue with uh, fuel consumption and electric um, vehicles.
1: Yeah, so um, some of our investors are actually clean energy investors. Um, We've got one clean energy fund that's actually backed us. Um, We've already demonstrated around a 30% reduction in fuel burn because the machines are just so light, they don't have the rolling resistance of large machines. Um, We're about one-tenth of the weight of a traditional sprayer. Um, in a spraying operation. No. Um, right in terms of clean energy, the pathways there, um, we know electrification is the future, and and I, I'm, I'm a big fan of hydrogen and how hydrogen can be produced at source and then consumed on farm. Um, and I think that's the future. The issue is now that you know, as a, as a technology company, the new to market. We went out to prove that there was a market for autonomous farming machinery that could be practically applied, and 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 you know we could grow a business out of it. And we've well and truly proven that now i think we've got about 12 million dollars worth of of sales now through the swamp farm system um and we'll have about 25 million sold um throughout through you know through our ecosystem by the end of this year um electrification would have slowed down the adoption of our robots one it would have been more expensive but two would have been unreliable and kind of difficult to apply on farm i mean you're building an autonomous robot first in the world and if you get that electrification first in the world on top, you're kind of trying to fight off too much with one tube. So I think there's going to be a natural progression um, to electrification and uh, in with our robots over the next three years. And um, I'm pretty buoyant about um, using hydrogen to do that. I
4: just want to add in, like great example of why we thought Swarm Farm was such a fantastic investment because just the pragmatism of, yeah, the like industry wants or, or, you know, broader society wants to see electrification take place. But the reality is, if you don't have those, you know, that kind of diesel power plant to do to do the job and the electrification side wasn't just there. And if I can just actually connect it back to Ben's question about the the kind of carbon like companies for the most part are going to look at you in terms of a total emissions profile. So yes, it'll be the diesel, but it'll also be the emissions embedded in the nitrogen that you're bringing in and the nitrous oxide emissions from the nitrogen that you're applying and the sequestration. And so when you're sort of thinking about that, just all, you know, remember to think about the total picture because what you might, you know, increase one place that's awesome because all of a sudden you've gone to using 5% or 3% the amount of glyphosate that you might otherwise use and there's big emissions intensity in your inputs that whoever is downstream of you is gonna be adding all of that up. So yes, diesel is a cost to you and that that's super important, but in terms of that emissions profile picture, remember to keep it a wide frame and sort of it's the end number that matters.
5: Great, Nick, another question. Yes. Um hydrogen on farm like is that how far are we talking there do you think is that five years away is it ten years away what's your gut feel
1: i'm not an expert on it yet um and we will partner with other companies to become experts on it um i think um my feeling is that we'll have i guess proof of concepts um in the next two to three years and i think at that stage the technology will be coming affordable and 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 deployable by that stage. At the moment, the cost would go through the roof if we were to deploy hydrogen now, and it would be unviable probably um, because the mass. I guess the technology isn't mass produced yet in the sizes and the form factors we want it. So um, I think the pathway is really first concepts um, to to prove it um, and. Um, and I think that will sort of parallel the mass production and the availability of componentry we need to integrate. So what I see is, um, is most likely solar farms on the farm building, producing hydrogen, probably stored as ammonia in tanks so we can build up capacities. You've got two pathways, one for fertilizer, one for fuel. Um, and the beauty of, you know, of hydrogen is you can store so much of it in tanks, um, either as ammonia or hydrogen. Um, and then you can build it up for when you need it. So if you're an irrigator, you might store a lot of hydrogen for your peak pumping periods. If you're, you know, more a conventional farmer, as in dry land, you might need this bigger tanks. But um, you can build up what you need for harvest and and, and planting and some of those peak times. There's um, even potential to convert it back to electricity and put it back into the grid, even. Um, but that's it's to see in this terms of farm infrastructure. Um, and then it's easy to shift around energy dense on farm. That's why I'm so excited about it. And it's produced at source and. The fact that you know there's some inefficiencies in making hydrogen, the fact that it's produced clean at source is, a, is kind of helps counteract some of those inefficiencies um, in terms of fuel cells and conversion um, back to electricity. Yeah,
4: we, we've looked into it pretty deeply. I think that the, sure, the way to think about it is what are you gonna do with it? So j- broadly speaking, like it's still a long way away, but if you, for specific, so if you've otherwise got something that's gas-fired and continuous and you don't need storage, like there's companies out there that can you know, create it from waste streams, and it's much better if it's a continuous use. So if you've got something that otherwise can use it continuously, you don't have to solve all those intermediate problems, then that those things are likely shorter term. The ones that involve storage and capacity and multiple downstream uses of the hydrogen probably are further away.
0: Thanks, guys. Two more questions, if I can, we'll round it out, if that's okay.
3: Yeah, Andrew, um, just, it's an exciting space, so just in line with today, what's the cost benefit of uh, going autonomous and what's your best sales pitch, I suppose?
0: Yeah, give it to us.
1: <laughs> Probably just talk to one of our customers that got a robot is what I'd say. Um, um, you know, we don't have an active marketing campaign or a salesperson, That we are going for a salesperson on soon because the inquiries we get are taking so much of their time, um, and we need to, we're expanding now and expanding our manufacturing, so we'll build, we're building two robots a month at the moment, but we'll have that to one a week pretty shortly. Um, and we're expanding from there. But um, uh, just in terms of cost, our robots are about $86,000 a year. It's a three year commitment to take one on. We do all of the maintenance. You only have to do basic servicing. Um, some people say, well, that's cheaper than employing someone. I can't actually put someone on by the time you put all, all of the costs on top, and I'm in a labour constrained world, and that's all i need to hear. Other people are looking at the Savings in, in in chemical and herbicide. Other people look at the non-tangible benefits. So, you know, in terms of control traffic, control traffic, you know, goes from wheel tracks this deep back to wheel tracks this deep because the robots are so light when they're out doing that weeding, those weeding sprays through the wet part of the year um, So it, it depends how many acres you farm. It depends what you're using it for. Um, obviously, if it's slashing in an orchard, it's a different ROI compared to spraying. If you're in a winter dominant cropping area, it's different to a summer dominant rainfall area. But, um, you know, there's a lot of our, a lot of our customers are saying to pay back in two years um, um, up in, you know, on the, on the Queensland border. Um, so, um, yeah, there's a pretty compelling case there. And happy
0: to introduce you to some of our customers if you'd like to have a chat.
4: Got a virtual
0: question. Thank you, Tim. A virtual question, just to round it out. Thank you.
2: G'day Andrew, thanks for the presentation
1: mate. Just wondering what um, impact the COVID effects had on, you know, having access to circuits, receivers and all that. We've had a lot of challenges updating um, equipment and stuff, um, the software side of the, the stu- um equipment, just with delays and all that. Is, um, how have you overcome those challenges? Yeah, um, COVID didn't really worry us that much. Um, because we're so used to working fairly remotely anyway, being out from you know, obviously out in rural Queensland, um, we, um, in terms of components and parts, we've had to really work hard with the suppliers to build those relationships to make sure we can get the higher end stuff that we need to get in from overseas. Um, and it's not it's it's been the relationships we've got with the suppliers that have got us over the line. Um, we have really really strong relationships with our suppliers. Um, In terms of updates and things like that, I mean, all of our technology is built in house. We have a full tech development team. We have, you know, for the first, I guess, four or five years of our existence, we're nearly all software engineers, um, writing the software for all the autonomy underneath our robots. Um, Now we're doing more and more mechanical design and robot designs, but because we have all our own technology in house, it's all been developed uh, in house, we do our own software updates um, and they go out. from our own team, so it hasn't really been an issue for us in terms of software.
0: Thanks, Andrew. Um, On behalf of everyone here, Andrew, just mindful of your time, thank you for being with us. Um, Such an amazing example of um, a business that was a conventional farm that looked outside the box and through pioneering is now changing the industry. Just mate, sincerely over your last 10 years, congratulations on everything you've achieved, Um, and we look forward to monitoring your progress, but it just sounds unbelievable over your next three and five and 10 years. Can we just put our hands together for Andrew Bates? (laughs) Can I just throw to you, Greg? Have you got a mic near? I'm just gonna put you on the spot if I could. What's your reflection on, on what we've heard from Matthew and Andrew?
2: Yeah, look, I think it's just a great summation of the fact that um, that, that change is happening. Uh, it's always been happening, and it's happening at a faster pace. And so, I guess my main message would, would be just to embrace change. Uh, um, in in all change comes lots of opportunities, and and the more open you are to looking for opportunities in change, the more you'll see them. You more, the more you'll find them. And so, there's great people around the country doing all sorts of amazing things, and and overseas, and. You know, um, and I think there are fantastic opportunities. Once again, you know, it, it, look, for the, look for the solutions you're trying to achieve in your, in your businesses first, and then seek the technology that can provide those solutions uh, to help you out. Um, and to the guys that, that presented uh, as, a, as a co-owner of a small ag tech company ourselves, um, really uh, want to say thank you very much to, um, to both of you for the time that you've put in today, uh, and really sort of challenging, I suppose, the audience to think about um, the future, uh, think about you know how their lives and livelihoods are going to be impacted um, by being part of a global world now. You know, no longer I think can you just think about um, sitting your own little, little dung heap and uh, and doing your own thing. You know, we are all interconnected, um, and you know we've got we've, uh, Elon Musk's uh, low orbiting satellite network has just got going. So for all of the southern part of of Australia, um, that that network is completely covering that area now and and completely available to everybody. So you know, so that the, the, the uh, access to the internet and, and everything that that can bring with inter- interconnectivity and so forth is now a reality for mm-hmm. a large chunk of Australian uh, rural rural landscape. So um, yeah, I, fantastic, really, really great uh, really great uh, session. And I hope that's got you all thinking um, and thinking about where we might go for the next couple of days as well.
0: Thanks, Greg. And so there you have it, a um, pretty incredible entrepreneurial story An incredibly progressive pioneer in Andrew Bates. Incredible to hear what they've achieved in a short time and just the impact that's having on on farm and across intensive and extensive farming systems across Australia. I hope you've enjoyed that. Um, It does prompt the thinking on how do we best leverage technology in order to drive efficiency. We're moving into an environment where we might see inflation and high high interest rates continue for a while. So once again, we're having to be incredibly focused on driving on-farm efficiencies and autonomy and some of the technologies that are coming. And as we spoke of the interplay of those technologies and the impact that'll have is going to be incredible. So it's about being on the front foot and it's about being well-researched and it's about being well-informed and we'll bring more on all things ag tech to you over coming months. But um, what a great conversation with Andrew Bate and congratulations, Andrew, on all you've achieved with your team at Swarm Farm Robotics. Thanks everyone. Take care and bye for now. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Profitable Farmer podcast by Farm Owners Academy. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a long time listener, let your friends know about us or come continue the conversation in the Profitable Farmer Facebook group. All the best as you grow your business and create your freedom farm. Until next time, keep being incredible.